Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. If you weren't here last week, or if you are, uh, just to catch everyone up, we're uh, close to finishing uh, a series that we started, a detailed look at the book of Ruth, where we are looking at God's ruthless pursuit of his people for his purpose and through the people that he's pursuing and to fulfill his purposes, he is able to also reach us. Uh, Now, before we um, continue, uh, let me tell you this. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Ruth, and I'll tell you where to go in a minute. There might be a Bible under, there should be one under your chair, front, back, or left, or right of you. And uh, let me summarize what we've been talking about, bring everyone up to speed. Uh, The book of Ruth starts out with this God-fearing family, uh, a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi, uh, and their two sons. And they are a God-fearing family. They're they're in Israel, in Bethlehem. And hard times kind of hit the area. There's a famine in the land where everyone is in need. Jobs are scarce, food is scarce, money is scarce, resources are scarce, all right? And then um, this doesn't just hit them. It hits everyone in the land. Everyone is impacted. So everyone knows, you know, when the, if you were around or caring about it, when the dot-com boom hit several years ago, it didn't just impact one company or one person. It impacted everybody. When the financial you know, crisis hit just a few years ago, didn't just impact one company or one family. It impacted everybody. But this family decided they're going to make a choice, and they decided to leave Bethlehem and to go look for money, food, resources, which makes sense. That's what anyone would do in that situation. They just happened to decide to go to an area and to be amongst the people that God said stay away from. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't that um, God said stay away from them because he was just being mean or he was being racist or anything like that. There was a reason. And the reason that he gave, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, is that the people the, who that family went to go stay with, the Moabites, were a people who were in direct opposition to not only the things of God, but they were also against the people of God. And when, when Moses had brought the people and the Israelites out of Egypt and they contacted the Moabites and said, we just want to go through your land. We won't drink any water. We won't touch your resources. We just kind of traveling on the road to go to where we want to go. And they, not only did they say no, but they said, we're going to come out and war against you. And not only did they say, we're going to come out and war against you. So we physically don't want anything to do with you. We physically want to stop you. They hired someone to come and to curse them. So they had physical opposition and spiritual opposition to God's people, the people of Israel. So God said, don't have anything to do with them. Don't go live there. Don't look for peace or prosperity or friendship or relationship with these people because they're opposed to you. Now, uh, here's the thing. We're going to touch on this more next week, but it's possible that the Moabite people had that because it was ingrained in their culture. And we talked about a few weeks ago, their culture, they came from Lot's daughters. Each of Lot's daughters, 
um, engaged in sexual activity with their father, Lot. And we'll, long story short, but they each had a child, one called uh, Moab, from who is derived the Moabite people. Now, here's the thing. They had spent, they, they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it, I know a lot of people think that Sodom and Gomorrah is just a place of sexual immorality. Have you guys heard that? Okay. But uh, here's why you can't just look at one verse in the Bible. You have to take the Bible in its entirety. Because elsewhere, God says it's not just a sexual thing that they had. Uh, they had animosity towards the poor. They liked to mistreat others. And historically, the way that they interacted with other people, since they were only inward focused, is they had rules in place that said when other people outside of our culture come in, then we legally have the right to hurt them, maim them, and take their stuff. That's the way they treated other people. So out of that culture where Lot and his daughters lived is where his daughters then came. They had children and probably ingrained the culture that they grew up with in their children, which in their mind, there's nothing wrong with it because we don't tend to realize how much cultural dominance impacts us. If something is dominating the culture and everyone is saying it's okay, then there's no reason not to keep doing it. And that's what they did, and that's probably the way they raised their children. So um, here's the deal. So the, uh, Naomi and her family, they left. They went to Moab, even though God said stay away from them. Consequences, uh, every man that Naomi had in her family at that time died. Her husband died. Her two sons died. And we don't know what caused them to die. We just know that while they were there, they died. So she, then, one of the consequences was she blamed God. She said, it's God's fault that I have went through all of this tragedy. Um, now, I'm going to put this verse up here because this is kind of where we left off last week. And in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, she says, when she returns home and she uh, has Ruth with her, she says, people come out and, you know, imagine you haven't been home in a couple of years, you moved away and you're working, you go back and you see the people and they're like, hey, it's Naomi, it's been a long time. What have you been up to? What's going on? And the first words out of her mouth are, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. And we talked about how the word Mara is Hebrew for the word bitter. She said, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. I went away with family and whatever. In actuality, if we stop and look at it, did she go away full? She had family, but she had no food, no money, no resources. That's why they went away. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, in the very next verse, though, here's what it says. Don't call me Naomi. Oh, wow, I put two together. Sorry. In the very next verse, it says, Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. But then in verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth. She wasn't alone. The Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. And this is, this, is, this, is, this is what gets me. It says, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So she left Bethlehem because there was a famine. There were no resources. And she thought, rather than trust and depend on God, I'm going to go and I, we've got to do what the family's got to do. We've got to take care of our kids. And she went there. 
the name of the city she left is Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? It means, I think, house of bread. It was named that because of the abundance of provisions that were available there. And not only that, when she comes back, she comes back at a time when there's a barley harvest. She left when there was a famine. When she comes back, there's an abundance of food. They're harvesting. It's not like the famine is just over and people are trying to make ends meet. They're reaping the benefit of what God had provided. And the reason she went back is because she heard that the Lord had provided for his people. Now, here's, here's the bad part. She returns home, but she returns with a little bit of an attitude. Have you ever had to deal with anyone that's had a little bit of an attitude, don't look left or right? Seriously? I mean, have you ever had, and, and, and no offense, but if, had you ever had to deal with a child with a little bit of an attitude? Okay, that, that, that comes in and, and, and doesn't matter what you say, whatever, here's what I want and I want what I want. They got a little bit of an mm, attitude, a little thing going on. So she returns home with just a little bit of an attitude, all right? And this is where we pick it up. So uh, if you have your Bible, open it up to chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, and that was her husband, Elimelech, from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Verse 2, And Ruth, the the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, I want to make sure we understand what's happening here because uh, the first verse, verse 1, is kind of like a parenthetical statement. It's, it's the author revealing information to us to kind of prepare us for the rest of the story. So in verse 1 where he says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. The author is trying to make sure we understand that there was a relative there who had an abundance of resources that obviously God had provided, either sustained him through the famine or brought him out of the famine and gave him an abundance of resources. And then in verse 2 and 3, it continues to tell us the story. And the story is that Ruth said, hey, you know what? We're back here now. And even though Ruth said, you know what, Naomi, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to stick with you. She says, we got no money. So I'm going to go. And it was a practice where uh, someone could go and, and after all the harvesting was done, someone could go and pick up what was left over and keep that for themselves today we would basically, most people would call it stealing, but it's not because there was a biblical mandate from God that said after you've harvested everything, don't wipe the place clean. Leave some so that the less fortunate, whatever falls, don't go picking up every grain, leave it so the less fortunate can come along and they will have stuff too. And it's no harm, if your basket's already full, leave the rest. If you've gleaned everything, leave the rest. And so they would allow people to go behind the harvesters and they would 
pull in whatever resources they could, whatever they could find, whatever dropped by, or maybe um, anyone had been out to, what is that place where they do the apple and strawberry picking? Triple, I was going to say triple berry pie, but okay. Triple B's, all right, where they do the apple picking. And have you seen where some of the apples are not, you know, they got a little rotten because the bugs or something have gotten to them or whatever. And, and when they're harvesting, they would probably just leave those. And they would probably stay there until they drop to the ground. But some people would come along and say, hey, I cut that out. That's edible. Now, be honest, all right? Have you ever eaten something that wasn't quite edible, all right? Guys are shaking their head, women are not. And I'm going to tell this story before Christy does, all right? So a um, couple of years ago, one of her coworkers gave us some bear meat. Any of you guys ever had bear meat? Okay. I cooked it, and it was delicious. I loved it. I thought it was great. Okay, bear. Uh, but I left it in the refrigerator for my daughter, Fallon, who's in the back, so I'm going to blame her. Now, she has been here to visit us since within that two-year time frame, but we kept forgetting about it. So this time, two years later, uh, when she came to visit us, I pulled it out, put it on the grill, and my nephew, Taiwan, is sitting next to her. I, I, it was only like a little square. I cut a piece for her, cut a piece for him, and I took the most burnt piece for me, all right? And I've eaten stuff that was in the refrigerator that Christy's like, we should throw this out. I'm like, no, I'm not done with it yet. But I got to tell you what, this made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. It was so nasty. It was so, like, but I didn't realize that until, because it was such a small piece, I had already chewed it and started to swallow it down before I realized how just bad it was. All right, no throw-up stories in church. All right, anyway, so um, that's what they would do. They would leave stuff for the people to come and pick up whatever they needed, whatever they could use, and they would take that home and they could use it. So now the author is coming back and he's telling us, hey, just so you know as you're reading this, there is a relative who could have taken care of the family, all right? But then he goes on and says that Ruth went out. And she said, I got to find a job. I'm going to go glean. And she says, I'm going to go glean after anyone. Ruth doesn't know the relative. You and I, because we're reading the story and I'm, we're on this side of history, we know the relative. She says, I'm going to go after anyone. I'm not necessarily, if, if we're talking about today, I'm not necessarily going to go to Triple B, Triple Berry, Triple what? Triple B, there. <laughs> She said, I'm just going to go look for any apple tree I can find, any farm that has apples where they're going to allow me to go. And it tells us that she just happened to end up in the field of their relative who could provide for them. Now, I know, I know here's, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hit on this, um, try to hit on it. A lot of people would call that luck. I don't necessarily believe in luck. That's me. I'm not saying for people to do there's anything wrong with it. I don't believe in luck because if you believe in luck, that takes God out of the whole equation. It means that there's something that God didn't know about, and he just happened to say, oh, good for you, Floyd. Glad that happened. I don't believe that. Um, some people say it's coincidence, which does happen from our perspective. We just happen to do this, and this just happens to happen, and things just fall into place. But what this is, and we're going to look at this, is not luck. It's not coincidence. This is God showing favor to his people. This is God using the abundance of resources that he has available and saying, I know how to take care of my people. Now, um, drop down to verse 11. 
And verse 11, she has this conversation with Boaz where she says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gleaning behind you. Thank you for letting me do it. And he says, this is, this is awesome. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. Basically, he says, you know what? I've heard about everything that you guys have been through, you and Naomi. I heard about the fact that you left. The whole town came out when you came back. Heard about, uh, you know, her, her, her husband dying and her sons dying, one of them being your husband dying. I've heard about all the hardship you guys had. And I've also heard, and we looked at this last week, where she made this awesome profession of faith where she says, Naomi, I'm going to stick with you, good times and bad. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. And Boaz looks and he says, I am blown away by that. So if there's anything I can do to help you, because you have helped her, feel free. If you read through the rest of the story, he continues and he goes on and on and he shows favor to her. Now, I know a lot of people will, will say, well, that's because, you know, good looking girl comes in, old guy standing there. Of course, he's going to show her favor. But he makes it crystal clear. This is not because you're good looking. And nowhere are we told whether or not she is. He says specifically, this is because you have made a profession of faith, a commitment to her, and a profession of faith, and a commitment to God. That's why I am doing this for you. And this is, this is one of those topics where the church gets, you know, kind of um, difficult about. Because on the one hand, you have people talking about, you know, being blessed. And they turn it into this prosperity gospel thing. And, and, and I don't know what your feelings are on that. We're not getting into that right now. But that's not what this is. This is not talking about getting rich and God shelling out money for you. This is talking about receiving all of the blessings that God has. And I hope that we all know that God has more resources and more blessings than just money. He has so much more at his disposal that he doesn't want to just give to us. Biblically, he says he wants to open the windows of heaven and let it rain down on us. His blessings for his people. Now, I'm going to put this up here um, in the book of Deuteronomy. There's a little lengthy, but bear with me. This is what God says as he is taking the time to establish his people and reveal himself. God's saying, I want you guys to know me because they don't know him. They've been 400 years in Egypt and slavery and bondage. All of a sudden, God shows up and says, follow me. And he says, now that we're out of that situation, I want to reveal myself to you. And this is what he says. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. In other words, he's talking as a people group. He says, if you fully obey God, he said, I'm going to lift you up above every other nation. And here's, he explains how. He says, all of these blessings, and the word blessing doesn't mean rich. 
It literally means unlimited resources and favor from God. If that includes financial blessings, so be it. If that includes human resources, so be it. If that includes more of God's grace and love and endowment of his Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts, so be it. But God says all of these things, all of these blessings, he says all of them will come upon you and accompany you. They're not just going to come upon you and then there's a time when it's gone. They stay with you. He said they will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And there's, there's the qualifier. And it's, 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 think of it this way. Before we go on, think of it this way. Um, when we have kids, we want to give as much as we can to our kids. We want to raise them right. But we, if we had, you know, whatever we have, it's of, they can take it. It's theirs. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have. Now, here's the thing. The more we have, the more they have access to. If we only have a little bit and we got to work from paycheck to paycheck, then they only get a little bit of what we have. The more we have, the more they have. I mean, doesn't that make sense? I mean, the more resources we have, then the more resources we can use to give to them. And it's not a matter of spoiling them. It's a matter of giving freely what we have to them. And this is what he says that he wants to do to his people. All these blessings will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. First, he says you'll be blessed in a city and blessed in a country, which literally means it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you live. These aren't blessings that are, there's a prerequisite that you must be here. It's available to all of God's people that are willing to obey if we obey the Lord your God. He says you'll be blessed in a city and blessed in the country. Then he goes on and he says the fruit. Now, this is interesting because he's about, where it says fruit. It literally means the byproduct or the result of. And everything that he comes up in the next few sentences means something that bears or grows. So he says the fruit of your womb will be blessed, meaning our children will be blessed. And wouldn't we, I mean, isn't that what we want? We want our children to be blessed? We do. Because here's the truth, and, you know, when I get old and can't take care of myself anymore, guess where I'm going? To their house. I want them to have a nice house because I'm setting my ways. And I want them to be able to take care of me the way I'm accustomed to. But the fruit of your womb will be blessed. He says the crops of your land will be blessed. Every, the harvest that they went into, the harvest will be blessed. The young of your livestock will be blessed. The calves of your herds will be blessed. And the lambs of your flocks will be blessed. Now, here's the thing. We're not farmers in here today. And we probably don't have livestock, calves, or lambs. Although if you do, we can barbecue this afternoon. It would be so awesome. But we probably don't have that stuff. For us, it will be the work that we do that produces for us our money, our rent, our mortgage, our car payment, whatever we are putting ourselves to. He even says that later on. He says your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed, meaning food. You won't go hungry. There was a famine in the land, but they're about to reap the harvest. And here's the thing. Now, I, I shared with you guys in the past where um, when I went through financial hard times, I lost my job, uh, literally watched them take my car and answer the door to find a real estate, guy, real estate guy show me the newspaper saying, hey, they're foreclosing on your house. I just wanted to look around. But here's the reality. Not one single day, and you guys know how much I like food, did I starve. Not one single day was I not able to provide something for my children, and it wasn't because of me. 
And it wasn't because of the measly unemployment I was getting either. It was because of the hand of God and God's people. Now, uh, he also says, he also says this. I'm going to speed this up for the sake of time. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And this is critical because a lot of people don't understand this. There, there's, there's, there's not a starting point or a single ending point to God's blessing. There may be some hard times in the middle, but those hard times will end. God's blessings never will. He says the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you, and that's crucial because that means that my enemies are not in charge. God is. The people that hate me are not in charge. God is. The people that talk about me are not in charge. God is. The people that are out to get me and put bad stuff on my Facebook or whatever are not in charge. God is. God, ha- God has sovereignty over everything. He says, they will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything that you put your hand to. Every single thing. And imagine this if you would. Every single thing that you try, that you go out to do, the job that you try to get. That doesn't mean you're going to get the first job or the multi-million dollar job, but it means it's going to get the job that God wants you to have because everything you put your hand on, God is going to bless. That means when I go trying to look for work, that means when I go trying to get the loan for the mortgage, when I go and try to get the car, and it's a prerequisite because back there before all of that is if you obey the Lord your God. And he says the Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. This is why we tithe, because of this last statement. Because we understand that everything we have, he gave us. Everything that he ha- Imagine if, if, if <laughs> well, I've done, I have done this, so that's not a good example. But <laughs> actually, <laughs> imagine if somebody gave you something, and then they asked you, can it like food? Like, <laughs> Patty just brought up these, these cookies, you know, that she made. And they're, they're cookies with bacon in them. And I was like, ooh. And so in my mindset, my plan was not to share. God's working on me. Just, just pray for me, all right? My plan was not to share until we got to this point. That's all. Oh, shucks. <laughs> so if you guys want some, we'll talk later. But imagine if she came up and said, well, how do you like them? And I'm like, they're great. And she was like, well, can I try a little bit? And I'm like, no. So can you imagine if God is pouring out all these blessings on you and he's giving these resources to you and he says to give back 10% to him so that we learn and, and know and acknowledge publicly and powerfully that we know everything we have comes from God and we say no. How do you think that's going to make God feel? I mean, I, obviously I wouldn't get any more cookies from Patty if I did that, right? But um, this is what he says now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to turn to, uh, and, and again, this is not like prosperity gospel stuff. This is just good, sound theology. And that's Old Testament, which is what a lot of people say. But in the New Testament, um, in Romans chapter 10, as Paul is talking to the Romans and he's explaining uh, a lot of different things, he says, as the scripture says, meaning he is relying on Old Testament theology, study of the word of God, to back up what he's about to say, he says, Anyone who trusts in him, meaning God, not just Jew, not just Gentile, not just Greeks, anyone who trusts in him 
will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's not a matter of, oh, that means I'm going to get good stuff if I go and call on the name of the Lord. The best and the greatest blessing that you get is you receive God's love. If you just call on the name of the Lord. All the other blessings that God provides, that's just like icing on the cake. And I realize that because we live in a world that denies the existence of God and doesn't acknowledge the things that God does, it makes it difficult for us and you come up against hardships and you come up against all kind of stuff, but that doesn't negate or pull away the fact that God blesses his people. All right? Now, here's the thing. This is, this is important. The blessing for Ruth and Naomi, it wasn't the harvest. It wasn't coming back to the land. It was each other. Each of them was able to be a blessing to the other. And, and, and um, before we go on, let me say this. I know we have a mindset when we think of, of, of um, getting advice from people. All right, because as it, throughout this, what we're about to read, she's getting it, uh, Ruth is getting advice from Naomi. And we, we tend to think some people will take advice from, and some people, I, anyone ever gotten bad advice before? All right, it may have been, hey, why don't you go out with him? That may have been the bad advice. For some people, it was definitely, ooh, we should buy a Blackberry. Obviously, <laughs> bad advice. Um, but we've all gotten, like, bad advice before. And that may tend to put us in a state of, well, I don't want to listen to anyone. I don't, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I can do this on my own. And again, we talked about last week, for Naomi, we don't know which one, whose idea it was, but Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they decided, we're going to take this journey. Instead of staying here and trying to tough it out and trusting that God will provide, we're going to take this and we're going to go over to Moab. And it didn't work out well for her. So you would probably think that she would not be, number one, willing to receive advice, but also one to give advice. But the advice that she starts to give that we're going to look at quickly, I'm sorry, we're running out of time, uh, is that um, in verse, turn to chapter 3, she begins to give advice to Ruth on how to adapt yourself to the culture and how we, we, how we can continue, not only in our relationship together, but to be able to interact with Boaz. So in chapter 3, verse 1, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, she's speaking to Ruth, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Now basically she's saying, hey, I need to figure out some way to to." give you some advice so that you can go out there on your own. You should not be stuck and tied to me. And she says, this man Boaz, who you went and worked with his servant girls when you were picking up um, grain and all that stuff, he is a kinsman of ours. And the whole concept of a kinsman was uh, that there was someone who was able to come in and redeem what was lost. And that's a whole other theological statement. But someone who could come in and say, hey, you lost this land, you lost all this stuff, but since I'm a relative, I can step in and legally say, this is mine, we're relatives, so I can give it back to you. 
Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And this is what she says. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her. Now, it would be just um, ideal if every child, when we gave them advice, said, I'm going to do whatever you say. Um, doesn't work out like that. But she's telling her the things to do that are acceptable in God's sight. And I know the book is called Ruth. But the powerful story is the story of Naomi. Because she has gone from um, someone who has been bitter and angry towards God to now someone who is saying, you know what? I am, I'm, I'm not going to worry about my anger. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to invest in the life of someone else. In other words, she says, hey, you know what? I am going to try as best I can, despite my circumstances, to be a blessing to you. She's put all of her bitterness aside, and she says, I am going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to put this last verse we're going to look at up here on the screen. So Ruth actually went out and did everything Naomi did, and when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And I'm going to stop you right there, because if you go back and look prior to this conversation, most of the time, she called her my daughter-in-law. As she begins to pour and invest in her life, the in-law goes away and she starts to refer to her as my daughter. She says, how's it going, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Now, here's, here's, here's I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to close with this thought. And we're not going to sing. We're not going to whatever. I just want to, to, to set the stage so we can spend a few moments in prayer before we close out. Ruth is in a situation where she's in a foreign land. She's with someone that she's only known for a few years. But she said, you know what? I'm going to trust not just in you, but I'm going to trust in God. Naomi is in a situation where if you look at Naomi's life, you see the entire life of, 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 of God's relationship with humanity. Where when God created humanity, they were one with him. And Naomi and Elimelech were in relationship with God. And a man decided we're going to go our own way and they separated from God. And Naomi and Elimelech, they separated from God and went amongst another culture. And then they came back to God. And when they came back, there was this tension and this anger and this bitterness. And, and the bitterness didn't go away until she started using the gifts God had given her to bless the life of someone else. And I'm willing to bet that, that each and every one of us, I'm not even willing to bet, I, I know each and every one of us, we have some gift, some talent, some capability that God has equipped us with. And he didn't give it to, it, give it to it, us, this gift, just for us. He gave it to us so that we can use it to bless the life of others. Now, I, I, let me say this. I had, 
I think it was August of last year when I planned this series of talks. But it just, again, God's favor in timing, God showing favor to where Stephen, who has years, I don't know how many years of, of teaching and instructing, and who has a passionate burden for evangelism, sharing the gospel, at this particular time says, yeah, I'm going to use my gifts, my talents, my skills to bless the lives of others. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants from the... That's what God wants from his people. Not that we just get to gather every Sunday morning and sing songs and, and, and share messages and eat peanut butter bacon cookies, but that we get to get together and rejoice in what God has done in our lives and then we go out and use our lives to bless the lives of others. And sometimes that's hard to do because depending on where you work or what school you're in or the class you're in, there's all these restrictions. And But God's not necessarily saying go beat people over the head of the Bible. He's saying what he said to Naomi. Use what I gave you to bless someone else's life. And if you look up here, it says it's in red. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. God will ruthlessly pursue us until we start using those gifts to bless the lives of others. He's not going to give up on us. He's not going to stop tugging at your heart. He's not going to stop having his spirit poke you and prod you. But he's also not going to stop pouring his gift into you. Because he wants us to be a vessel that he can make his love known, make more of himself known, until we can invite other people to be recipient of God's love. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. We do this from time to time. I'm going to ask everyone to stand up and just grab the hand of someone next to you until we are all connected. Everyone connected in either a circle or whatever. If you've got to move across the aisle, which you will have to, just move across the aisle and make sure everyone's connected to somebody else's hand. And I know this may seem a little bit weird for you, but um, Fallon, come up and grab Taiwan's hand and stretch. You guys stretch out to the back or whatever you got to do. And it seems weird that we're all moving and relocating to reach out and touch somebody else. But that's what the church is. God has put us in this place, but he's given us different gifts and different resources. And when we leave here, we're going to go to different places and move and relocate, and God wants to use us to touch the life of others. So bow your heads with me. God, we just praise you for everything that you do in our lives, for every blessing that you pour out on us. We praise you that we can be recipients of your amazing, astounding, unconditional love. God, we praise you for the gifts and the talents that you have equipped us with. You have given us as, as many different gifts and talents as there are grains of sand on the sea, God. Some of us, you've given the ability to just be more social and interact and outgoing. Some of us, you've given musical gifts. Some of us, like Stephen, you've given us the gift of teaching and sharing. 
Some of us, you've given artistic gifts. Some of us, we're still in a place of trying to find out, God, what do you want me to do? And the funny thing is that some of us are using our gifts that you have given us every single day, and we don't even know it made some of us to be administrators and some teachers and some uh, use every type of gift that you've given but God we don't just want to use them in here we pray that you allow us to leave this place and use those gifts to bless the lives of others so that we might exalt your name and that people would know that there is a God who loves them God, as we leave this place this morning, we ask that you would continue to bless us, that we would continue to acknowledge it, and that you would be exalted in our lives every single day. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen.